0: Welcome back, Coffee and Combo listeners. I'm your host, Liz Bullard, and thanks again for tuning in to another episode. This week, I'm talking with Alderman Sherman about a topic that he's very passionate about, but I don't know very much about, and that's Firearms it's not something I grew up with. Didn't know much people growing up uh, who own firearms. Even friends today really don't talk much about it or own them. So when I read the article about the regulations and the changes that were going to be made locally, um, I was very interested to sit and talk more about um, the subject with him. Um, during this episode, you'll hear Roger Sherman say that he was passionate about gun regulations and really wanted to tackle it and make it an easier process within the city. And so he talks more about the local regulations and the process, um, and even touching upon some statewide regulations and his thoughts on those. So thank you for tuning in once again, and here is an ad before we get started with this week's episode. <laughs> and Convo listeners. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Liz Bullard. And today we are talking about um, gun licensing. This is a topic that I don't know much about, but who I'm sitting with, Alderman Roger Sherman, knows much about. And so I'm interested to pick his brain. So welcome.
1: Thank you, Liz, for having me today.
0: Awesome. So tell me, well, first, tell people a little bit about what an alderman does.
1: So aldermen will generally... um, go over new laws and regulations and decide if we want to go into a contract with say we have special needs children in the city the Board of Ed will approve a contract and then that contract comes in front of the Board of Aldermen and then we in turn approve or deny that contract and generally those contracts will be approved if it's something that might be a little controversial a lot of times some of the board of ed members will reach out to us and ask us you know or give us input and in how they think things should go with it um we had the budget coming up uh pretty soon our uh, next meet or first meeting for that is uh, i forget the date offhand but that was said at the last board of alderman meeting um a lot of times when there's if someone overpays with their uh, their water bill that comes in front of the Board of Aldermen to give them a refund. I didn't
0: and know so, that. Yeah, so you're like almost like the fact checkers Yes, yes mm, Interesting and so with this CC, CCDL bill um, or Negotiations that you have going on. I was interested because I thought like gun permits things would have to do with gun regulations was like state issue I didn't know there was some things that fell um, in the city realm,
1: so the way the process works in the state of Connecticut, mm-hmm. and there's a state statute that that's supposed to guide the municipalities. Mm-hmm. The local municipality, like a city of Waterbury, generally the chief of police mm-hmm. is the is the signer of those temporary permits, and I believe they're good for sixty days. So you go you go through your NRA. Uh, safety course for the pistol mm-hmm. you do some um, it's usually an eight-hour day the course is four hours oh, really? four hours worth of um, kind of like lecture theory and then there's usually four hours at the shooting range where they teach and observe you handling a firearm proficiently and safely. so not just
0: handing out permits no
1: absolutely <laughs> not so the the chief of police has the final say over if you applied for a mm-hmm. permit if he thinks you're um, a safe citizen um, in order to have that pistol permit. They're, they cannot deny you a permit unless you have a felony or uh, you've been found to have a mental defect, you know, mental illness, mm-hmm. something like that that might exclude you from. Mm-hmm. And the state statute covers those. Uh, certain there, uh, certain misdemeanors disqualify you as well. Oh, really? And the process that the city had for many, many years was to, and what many municipalities throughout the state had prior to uh, the meeting with the chief of police, they would require three letters of reference. Yes.
0: And, and that was the big change that was... That's the, big, the
1: biggest change okay. so far. Um, they're no longer going to require those three letters of reference up front when you hand in your pistol permit application. Okay. Um, you, the, you have to pay your initial fee... To the city, which I believe is seventy or seventy-five dollars, and then there's a smaller additional fee for the fingerprint process, which there's some question uh, over legality as well. Okay, the state statute sets a certain limit on that, um, uh, on what the city can charge. Oh, and there is not an argument, just a question over: Are we legally able to charge that additional fee? And the reason the city is charging that fee right now is they use an outside company to process the okay. fingerprints for this process, for the pistol permit process. Um,
0: Question. So, like, theoretically, like, if the city was able to charge for the fingerprints, would that be additional revenue for the city?
1: It it would be, okay. sure. Um, but that fee, what CCDL says is that fee should come out of that 70 or $75. Oh, okay. And... And then whatever is left, the city gets. Oh, okay. So it's about $100, I believe, that the uh, the city takes from you when you apply um, mm-hmm. at the local level. Then once uh, you go through, I think the city does an initial background check on you to mm-hmm. make sure that they don't have any warrants or okay. what have you on you. Then they push those prints to the state, and the state does a background check on you, and they get sent to the FBI. Mm -hmm. and there's a federal background check that's done on you. Then those prints get shipped back, and your background check, all that information gets shipped back to the state, and then it gets kicked back to the city.
0: That's a lot of traveling for There is, sure.
1: (laughs) So there's also, the state statute says eight weeks. Eight weeks from the time you hand the officer Mm -hmm. in the records department your application, you should have an answer within eight weeks.
0: That seems like when you just described, so the check with the uh, city, then with the state, that seems like a long process before eight weeks.
1: It sure is. Yeah. And what they're reporting uh, at at the police department is when they send out those prints, they're not getting them back for 10 weeks. Oh. So what CCDL has agreed to with the city in conjunction together, Mm -hmm. they're going to try and figure out why the city of Waterbury Mm -hmm. has taken 10 weeks to get those prints back, Okay, where other municipalities and granted they're generally Mm -hmm. smaller municipalities, Mm -hmm. much less applications being processed um, are sometimes quicker.
0: And I do remember seeing that um, in the article about the time that different um, towns and cities had and how ours was longer. And there was a few cities and towns that had taken out that recommendation for the three um, letters of recommendation.
1: There's a lot. There's more towns that do not require those letters of recommendation than do. Mm -hmm. So I believe what Holly Sullivan and Jonathan Hardy from CCDL Mm -hmm. are going to do is going to start trying to communicate with the other Mm -hmm. municipalities. I was I was approached by by uh, Holly Sullivan a few weeks ago in reference to this Mm -hmm. and she asked if she could come speak in front of the board Mm -hmm. and i said well maybe we should have a meeting with the chief first Mm -hmm. um and i i'm pretty sure that non-residents don't get to speak at public speaking unless it's an item that they may be involved with on the agenda uh i have i should know that but i don't know Mm -hmm. that offhand so rather than having a, a confrontation mm-hmm. with the city of Waterbury and the police department, mm-hmm. we had a conversation, which I think was much more productive, Yeah, and there's um, no um, reactionary type... Um,
0: Absolutely. That's especially with I think what gun tr- control being one of those like sensitive topics, yeah. um, to approach it with a conversation like, okay, what does everyone think about this? How can we proceed? Versus sure. this is right, this is wrong. Yeah. Because it's one of those topics that everyone has a side and everyone can have multiple rights regarding it. And so when you're able to have those conversations, you're able to kind of, I think, be the most fair.
1: Yeah. I, you have to give... Chief Spagnolo, the opportunity to say, Absolutely. rather than having someone show up, speaking publicly, wagging a finger, whatever they happen to be mm-hmm. saying, and I don't think it would have been derogatory. Mm-hmm. I think it would—they would have just been pointing out the facts. I, I think the way we went about it was much more productive.
0: Because when there's public speaking. Um, you guys don't have a chance to interact back and forth. We don't. So I think that too, especially with sensitive issues, I, you know, when you're able to have that kind of pre-conversation, it makes it a, a lot easier and a lot smoother. It really
1: does. It really does. Mm-hmm. It really does. And, mm-hmm. it, and it it avoids there being um, animosity, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chief Dagnolo was um, very gracious and agreeing to have the, a, a sit down with them. I've reached out to mac to mac first mm-hmm. concerning it. He gave me Chief Spagnola's cell phone number uh, and we communicated and we organized and set it up. Um, we got George involved with that as well. Um, their chief, uh, Captain Gilmore, and there was another, the sergeant in the records department, I forget mm-hmm. how, to, how to pronounce his name. Um, they informed us in the meeting that since Chief Spagnola has taken over, they've revamped the process. They've added staff there to help process oh, these permits, and to and they're under the impression that the process is much quicker than it was before. But they recognize that it's not as quick as it. What maybe was it before? Be. Um, I think a lot of it was staffing.
0: Oh, okay, but like, was it taken like ten? Oh, 20 weeks.
1: I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. My stepson, Brandon, Mm -hmm. applied. um, This was about three years ago. Mm -hmm. And it took him nine months to get his permit.
0: (laughs) Very long time.
1: I didn't call because I didn't want to be the person trying to... Yeah. and all them insane... Yeah,
0: it could look messy even though it's not trying to be messy.
1: And I didn't... The only reason I did call is because he was going to boot camp in three months, and I wanted to make sure he had enough time mm-hmm. to get the temporary permit and then get his permanent state permit. Mm-hmm. So w- when I called, I was told by the, uh, the person that was working in the records department, who I don't recall her name mm-hmm. now, that the state kicked back the prints, and they had sent out the letter to Brandon informing him of that. He never received that letter or got lost in the mail, what have you. That Monday following, I had the conversation on Thursday. We received a letter with that information. I haven't spoken to anyone recently that's gone through the process. Mm -hmm. That was three years ago. Mm -hmm. In the scheme of things, that's a pretty long time ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chief spagnolo has been on for 18 plus months Mm -hmm. now, I believe. And I believe that their process has gone.
0: Well, that's good that there's been able to be um, improvement, because I think with anything, there should be improvement and, you know, fairness. So yeah. what about this drew you to this issue? Why was this, like, passionate for you?
1: This is something that actually was uh, was a big uh, block on my checklist of uh, things that I would want to do as an alderman before I decided to run. Mm. So I, I've been a member of CCDL for six or seven years, um, about a year prior to be coming onto the Board of Aldermen. And I remember hearing all the stories at the meetings, Waterbury, Middletown, you know, really tough process and be prepared to wait. Mm. And I'm like, you know, that, that, that's not right. Because I recall when I went through my process more than 10 years ago in Waterbury, I didn't have that issue at all. Oh, really? So I got my permit in under eight weeks.
0: So it does happen. So that eight weeks, it it is possible to achieve that.
1: Yes, it is. And, you know, three years ago, 10 years ago, things have changed, Mm -hmm. what have you, whether it be staff. Um, But I was, you know, very pleased to be a part of this and to be able to check that Mm -hmm. box. It's pretty important to me for people that want to, be able to carry a firearm, to be able to, mm-hmm. as long as um, they're legally able to. Mm-hmm. I, um, my wife has a, a pistol permit. Uh, I've had my pistol permit for over 10 years now.
0: So you are not the family to mess with. Okay.
1: I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I um, Bill, the, the photographer from the Republican American, said he was going to post one of the pictures. Uh, titled, uh, Don't Mess With Alderman Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't end up happening. But,
0: you know, it's it's interesting um, to think about because I think, again, it's a topic that, like, for me, I'm unfamiliar with um, gun policy, having guns around. And so I think it gets, especially when you look at media and how they portray um, Guns, things that happen with guns, people get um, a fear, especially when they don't have familiarity. Understood. So what would you say to people that are concerned that, okay, there's not that three letters of recommendation and that means more guns are going to be on the street.
1: Every person that applies for a pistol permit in the city of Waterbury or anywhere else in the state of Connecticut still needs to go through a very thorough background check. Um, I don't, think that the three letters of reference, um, really make a big difference in that. If someone really wants to get a firearm, whether they're, whether they're doing it the legal way or illegally, they will get a firearm. Unfortunately, we're well, Mm -hmm. well, well aware of that in this day and age. Um, I think the three letters just, uh, slow the process for a citizen. I, However, the process uh, with the background checks, I think, is more than adequate.
0: India, yeah, you, when you mentioned the process, I didn't know it was so lengthy as far as with the fingerprints at the state and the federal. Yeah. Then the eight-hour course where you're not only you're, you're learning about how to use it properly, they're watching you, you're learning about some background. Um, they still have the components to make sure that you're mentally capable and that you can be safe with this. Correct, and I think another thing because um, I was thinking before you know um, we, I got here, I think there's a difference between the legal possession and the illegal you know possession of a firearm, and I think a lot of times when people associate um, with gun permits they're thinking, okay, more guns, but sure. you're, that other factor is if you're going through it legally, there's a, a trap, you know like there okay is. this person has X amount for illegally you're unsure, and I think sometimes when there's that gun conversation, there has to be that distinction between. The illegal owners and
1: legal owners of um, firearms sure and most most crimes are with a firearm are committed by illegally acquired firearms mm-hmm. when I when I go to a gun store mm-hmm. to purchase a firearm, I have to go through another background check mm-hmm. every time I purchase a firearm They mm-hmm. call it a NIx background check mm-hmm. so that gun store, whether it be the gun store here in Waterbury, mm-hmm. Cabela's, what have you Hoffman's, they have to call the state of Connecticut and they give them my pistol permit number and they run a quick background check on me, state and federal,
0: Mm -hmm. to make
1: sure there's no warrants, what have you. No protective orders, things Mm -hmm. like that. You know, um, that's one disqualifier. So if if I were to have a protective order brought against me, Mm -hmm. they would seize my firearms and my pistol permit.
0: And isn't that fairly new? Like a couple years ago?
1: The what they do now is they have the capability of uh, taking the pistol permit and the firearms prior to a permanent okay. um, protective order. So with the temporary restraining mm-hmm. order, they have that capability. Oh, okay. So the big argument between um, for the opponents of that was, you know, you're taking due process away from oh, the person okay. with the firearm and the pistol permit. So... You, essentially, your neighbor could call and say, "I'm afraid of him. Uh, I think he's going to hurt me." That's, I think, that's where oh, the opponents okay. w- w- were afraid of. I've, ne- I've not, I've yet to hear mm-hmm. of something, some sort of situation like mm-hmm. that. But you know, we recently had Ethan's Law passed. It's referred to as.
0: And if correct me if I'm wrong, that's the one they passed. About last year. I
1: think it went into effect in October of 2019.
0: Mm-hmm. And that means that the gun, law, uh, the gun law stated that the firearm has to be locked up while it's in your house.
1: If you have someone that's 15 years or older oh, in your okay. house. So any firearm mm-hmm. in your possession, mm-hmm. if you have children in your house, mm-hmm. Ethan's Law requires it to be in a safe I don't know what standard of safe they require of mm-hmm. just a strong box is adequate, I'm not quite familiar with that. Um, there are a lot of opponents to that as well. Um,
0: Side so note, like my opinion of that when I, in theory, I thought it was, okay, very nice, very logical, sure. but then I was like, well, how are you going to know if someone is locking up something in their own house?
1: You're only reacting generally. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's
0: and, and that weird. was kind of my struggle with it. While it was nice and I understood why it took place, but it was just like you're you're not going to be able to check everyone's house every day sure. and make sure that this is being
1: followed through. Someone was recently charged with that law within really? the past within the past month or two for not having secured firearms in the house. I believe the house was broken into. And a firearm was stolen. And Maybe the firearm was stolen. I, I don't recall mm-hmm. exactly, but I know someone's been charged under that law recently.
0: Wow! So they uh, are really sticking with that, and they are. Uh,
1: yeah. Okay. I, I think it's um, a pretty smart idea to keep your firearms locked up. Um, you can do a, a lock box near your on your nightstand. Mm-hmm. You know, the relatively quick combination. Mm-hmm. Some of them are biometric. Mm-hmm. There's that. So right now, we have today, there's probably still speaking on uh, House Bill 5040, which is a 35% tax, excise tax on ammunition.
0: So that Uh, would mean it would be more tax on ammunition. Yes.
1: So, So there is a tax, there's a federal tax already on ammunition and firearms that goes to the federal government. This proposed tax, which it's in, it came out of committee. Mm-hmm. Public speaking today would uh, institute a thirty-five percent excise tax on ammunition within Connecticut, mm-hmm. and uh, I I sent in testimony uh, via email opposing it. And my thought process on that is, you keep um, people that may be financially strapped from becoming proficient with a firearm. Thirty-five percent is—that's a punishment. Mm-hmm. I, the, the claim is that that money is going to go towards um, gun uh, gun violence prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a really difficult time trusting that any tax collected in the state of Connecticut is going to go towards what it's claimed to be to, to go towards. Mm,
0: that's another thing to consider. You know. Um, because we've kind of seen that with transportation where it doesn't really go towards transportation. So
1: The lockbox, yeah. the constitutional yeah. amendment that was <laughs> passed uh, in, was that 2016? I want to say. You know, we, I don't know if any money has actually made it into that lockbox.
0: And that's what I keep hearing is like, okay, we have it, doesn't really go there. So again, to kind of put that on something else um, and not have it go there is unfortunate.
1: It's it's kind of insulting mm. to the people that voted in favor, mm. in my opinion, of that lockbox to uh, say, we're going to make sure this money goes here and this is how we're going to do it. And then here's the lockbox and essentially mm. everybody's ignoring it.
0: Which is true because, you know, in hindsight, you know, if people would have known it's really not going to go there, would they have voted differently? Sure. Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, but again, I think you take that away from people and you don't give them the full information. Sure. Um, and again, I, when I was, we were looking, I was looking back at, like, comps and stuff regarding uh, the change to the process in Waterbury, and a lot of people were in favor of removing the um, three letters of recommendation. Are there a lot of gun supporters here in Connecticut? Are we, like, on the forefront of gun laws and things?
1: I think uh, Connecticut's in a really difficult position considering what happened at Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. So prior to Sandy Hook... Um, we were past the 1994 assault weapons ban, mm-hmm. so you essentially could own any what's what is defined by the state law as an assault weapon mm-hmm. um, without issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't own a, a fully automatic. That was uh, those were banned for for ownership uh, decades ago. I mm-hmm. don't remember when that federal ban came into place. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you, you can legally purchase. A machine gun, okay. an M60, an M16. Yeah,
0: those like big. oh, wow.
1: Well, an M60 is 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 considered a, um, I guess, a squad weapon, like a M16, mm-hmm. like uh, we they, we carried in Vietnam, uh-huh. which could uh, could fire fully automatic. Those are generally going to cost around. Thirty to $40,000 Really? and then you have to get a federal tax stamp in order to purchase that so you see a gun mm-hmm. at a gun store that mm-hmm. re- requires, requires a tax stamp you have to apply for that tax stamp before you can buy it and generally that process takes about a year from what I understand. I've never purchased a firearm yeah. like that um, so after Sandy Hook Connecticut instituted their own uh, assault weapons ban essentially. Okay. Uh, they they limited the magazine capacity to 10 rounds per magazine. Mm-hmm. And they, they um, essentially all the firearms that were considered assault weapons under the former federal assault weapons mm-hmm. ban are listed in the Connecticut assault weapons ban now. Uh, and that took place not too long after Sandy Hook. Uh, there was a lot of complaints about that from the firearms community, from CCDL, mm-hmm. and I think CCDL was, um, I think CCDL has been in in business, what have it was founded 10, 10 or so years ago. Okay, so fairly new. Yeah, I don't know if it was an answer to that, or was it, two thousand
0: And so is CCDL native to Connecticut?
1: It is. It's oh, okay. Connecticut Citizens Defense League. Oh, okay. So you'll find throughout the, the country that there's a very similar organization. With
0: that, gotcha. Yeah, and, they, and a lot
1: of times they'll collaborate. So CCDL um, filed a lawsuit against the state of Connecticut concerning the magazine ban and concerning some of those assault weapons mm-hmm. ban. There was a court case that went to trial, and um, I think they found in favor of the state... So they wait. Uh, they pulled their lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Another lawsuit in another district um, uh, court district throughout the country. And I forget if it was in the California side. of mm-hmm. um, Found in favor of the firearms organization. Mm-hmm. So they're regrouping now, and they're you know they'll more than likely have multiple groups together file a lawsuit. Uh, together to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. for these types of laws. Um,
0: and so is Connecticut, so would you say there's a lot of people in Connecticut that were affected by the change in laws locally
1: within the state? Sure. Oh, Generally, okay. anyone that owned a firearm in Connecticut, when that law came into effect, it affected them. Uh-huh. So it, it, unless they had magazines that were at 10 or less beforehand.
0: And that's not typical?
1: Most 9mm. Uh, standard or you know at, l- at least 12 rounds 15 20 rounds oh um, in a in a glock 19 i think a, a regular magazine that comes with a glock is a 20 round magazine
0: so what did they were they what had to happen did they have to like go turn those
1: in no you had you had a certain amount of time the state said okay if you have this for magazines if you have this type of firearm you have until this date to register these magazines and the firearms with the state of Connecticut Otherwise, you can no longer bring them in, you can't sell or transfer them within the okay. state, um, and I'm not even sure if you can will them to a family member. So
0: there was like a crackdown on all of them.
1: There was, and I remember distinctly the, the um, images and the news coverage on the last day with the lines well out the door in Middletown for the, at the department of public safety Mm -hmm. where you have to register Mm -hmm. all that information. So now I can no longer purchase a magazine that uh, holds more than 10 rounds Mm -hmm. in Connecticut. I cannot legally bring in a magazine from another state. Mm -hmm. Um, I cannot own certain types of firearms that are classified as assault weapons. Mm -hmm. Um, You, you have the grandfathered weapons Mm -hmm. or, pre-ban mm-hmm. weapons uh, that they're referred to as. The, and those pre-bans are prior to the federal mm-hmm. 1994 ban. Mm-hmm. Those I can legally buy, sell, and trade okay. in the state of Connecticut. I think Connecticut historically has been a, a gun-friendly state up until uh, after Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may argue that uh, Connecticut never really was a gun friendly state but it was generally considered a shall issue state where um, they have to find fault with you whether it be a um, okay. a, a, a felony type thing to to stop you from getting a, a pistol permit
0: okay so it was pretty much i don't want to say less restrictive but you were able to more easily the process was a little bit more easier sure. okay
1: you go in, over to rhode island mm-hmm. and it's very, very difficult to get a carry per- permit for a pistol. Uh, the firearms that are considered assault weapons, yeah. you can buy all day long in Rhode Island.
0: Really? Yeah. I yeah. would not have pictured that yeah, Rhode Island. Yeah. It's,
1: it's a little weird how some of the laws work. Mm-hmm. So if you go up into Maine, mm-hmm. uh, New Hampshire, and Vermont, you don't need a permit. Sure. They're considered constitutional carry states. And there's 14 constitutional carry states, and I can't name them all.
0: And so, what does that mean? You just you don't have to get a permit to carry. Correct. Okay.
1: However, when you buy a firearm, you still go through that process that I mentioned before with with a NICS background check.
0: Okay. So you still
1: have to go through that.
0: So it's still not free and clear. You still there is correct. Okay, and I think sometimes that's where. Um, media comes in with the scare. It's like, you can just go and buy a firearm. And they yeah. don't say about all the other process that's
1: there. A lot of times you'll hear the, the gun show loophole. Yeah. So there's no such thing in Connecticut. Oh. You can't go to a gun show in Connecticut and buy a firearm like you're at a flea market. Yeah. You cannot. You have to go through a NICS background check. So I could sell a firearm mm-hmm. to you as a private citizen mm-hmm. as long as you have a permit. Yep. I call the, uh, the state, just like the gun store does, and I say, this is Liz's permit, mm-hmm. and I'd like to transfer this farm or this serial number mm-hmm. to her, and they'll say, okay or no, and then they give me a transaction number, mm-hmm. and we write it on that firearms transfer slip, and we have a copy for each other, and, and that's it.
0: So there's like a lot, a lot of opportunity to have any missing firearm, missing loopholes, which I think is a little bit more comforting knowing them. What the process
1: is? Sure, sure. I think, I think we've, the, our country was founded on the ability to defend itself and and yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think we've we've gotten really comfortable in the fact that we don't have to do that as much anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. I guess complacency might be another mm-hmm. word to describe it, but I I think it's important to have that capability mm-hmm. to be able to defend yourself, to f- defend your your house, your family, your city, your state, and country. And,
0: and I think, like for like I said, I don't have much experience, but you know. Um, ignorance, ignorance is not always bliss, and you always want to be able to understand um, the plights of someone else. So like, when people are saying, like, this is not fair, like, for me, I honestly want to know, like, why it's not fair. And, like, you gave a, a lot of um, information about what the process was, sure. what it is currently, um, talking about legal um, uh, possession versus illegal possession. And so um, there's a lot to factor and think about when you're thinking about gun laws and gun sure. control.
1: I want no one that's off their rocker, or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, that's, uh, that has, I guess, hate in their heart, mm-hmm. to have a firearm in their hand. Um, There's
0: no test for that.
1: There isn't. <laughs> However, you know, our Constitution affords, and the, the state of Connecticut's Constitution, which is much clearer than the Second Amendment, makes it very clear that we have a right to protect ourselves, the family, and the state. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And I forget the exact wording Mm -hmm. for this uh, state of Connecticut. Um, But I think it's important for the, the, the tax. That money is supposed to go towards education for, you know, for gun violence. I think if we start bringing back some more firearm education at the school level, you know, even if it's just, if you see this, stay away,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, make kids familiar with it because there are a lot of firearms in, in this country and very well one of our kids are gonna come across a firearm and sometimes with tragic results and I always hate and it breaks my heart to hear and see those types of accidents happening. But if we're teaching our kids in school, at church, and at home, that these are dangerous, then that's going to help. We make sure our kids stay away from the stove. We make sure they stay away from From power tools. You know, if you don't have firearms in the house, it's a little different. You, You may not be having that conversation. But m- maybe but I think you it should. Is still,
0: yeah, exactly. Because I do agree with the argument that you do have to talk about what you do when you see these things. Sure. Because whether or not you have them in your house, whether or not you consider it safe, not safe, yeah. you don't know about your neighbor. And if your kid is going over there, if your kid finds it in the street, yeah. wherever, exactly. you know, you want them to be able to know what they do. And, you know, I think about um, when I work with kids a lot of times and we say, okay, if you see, like, drugs, what do you do? You go this way, you get an adult, yeah. you you don't touch it. because. You don't want them to rub up on it and be like, "Oh, what's this?" Yeah. You want them to know this is how I interact with this.
1: And it should be the same for firearms.
0: It should. Anything that has that potential, like you said, to have an accident. Because I, I wish I had this statistic, um, but most deaths are, you know, a lot of it is accidents.
1: Accidental suicides. Mm-hmm. Um, those are big numbers with firearms. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie, Eddie the Eagle is a program that the NRA has mm-hmm. and I don't know that if it's free uh, but they do have uh, programs that they bring into the schools mm-hmm. to, to teach firearm safety we this the city of Waterbury I believe still has a shooting range at Crosby High School really? downstairs I don't know if it's still actively being mm-hmm. used but it's something that was you know much more of a part of the country mm-hmm. in our in our everyday lives quite a few decades mm-hmm. ago uh, than it than it is nowadays mm-hmm. it, it's it almost seems to be a little taboo mm-hmm. depending on how you're looking at it for me it's not
0: mm-hmm.
1: I loved going out uh, putting holes in paper <laughs> um, trying to make a smiley face you know <laughs> but um, there's a lot of great places there's a nice shooting range in Naugatuck that's outside and you meet some really good people and uh, that are generally like-minded,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, there's a lot of firearms in the state of Connecticut. And I think if if firearms were the problem, um, we would see a, a much bigger issue here in, in mm-hmm. the state. Uh, there's as many firearms as there are people in the state of Connecticut, though it's about sixteen percent of the population that own those firearms.
0: Mm-hmm. And is Connecticut, um, are like, we concealed to carry or open? Like, what is our policy on that? Like, if you have a gun, can it be open and or do you have to conceal it?
1: The pistol permit and the statute does not define either way. Oh, okay. So the state police um, released a memo uh, five to ten years ago stating open carry is legal in the state of Connecticut. So you are not obligated to conceal the Mm -hmm. firearm. And I personally don't prefer to carry open. Mm -hmm. Um, The dinner, CCDL had a dinner Mm -hmm. at um, the Ponty Club Mm -hmm. this past Saturday, and a quarter of the people that were there were open carrying. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, you know, you can open carry Mm -hmm. or you can conceal, that's a preference.
0: Well, my last question for you is, um, again, when I think of guns, you know, as long as you are able to be safe, go through the proper channels, you should use them. However, I believe that there are some people that will never have that skill. I am one of them. I have butterfingers. I will shoot myself in the foot. It's just like I can go through all that training. But do you think that there's some people or like stipulations or more stipulations or a certain type of parameters that should be put on who should own a gun? No.
1: Absolutely not. I think I think where we're at right now, we're in a good place where you know you can't have felonies, you mm-hmm. can't have certain misdemeanors, mm-hmm. violent crimes. You can't be under a protective order, mm-hmm. um, have mental health issues, uh, drug addiction. I think many people will argue that's overboard. What they those requirements really? now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm comfortable with them, in all honesty. Um, when you do that NICS background check to make sure there's no warrants, what have you, mm-hmm. I don't think, I absolutely don't think there should be more. Um,
0: do you know what it constitutes as the mental stipulation?
1: I believe it mentions in the state statute, uh, there may be a mention of uh, alcohol dependency at one point, but I forget the exact... How it works if if it is within a certain amount of time, possibly.
0: But they specify what mental disorders.
1: No, no, they do not. They do not. I think um, under psychiatric care, uh, along those lines, Mm -hmm. it doesn't doesn't mention schizophrenia or bipolar disorder um, by by uh, definition or by name. Um, I think you you mentioned having (laughs) butterfingers. Do you use power tools at all?
0: Yes, on occasion. So
1: you be careful with those power tools? Yes. So if you're ever feeling like you want it, um, go out and, and try it out and see. I love bringing out new shooters, and um, I'm very proud of making sure that I teach people the safe way to handle a firearm. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, if it's a new shooter, it's always a one-on-one type scenario at a shooting range, obviously. So mm-hmm. there's other people there, but... My time is yeah. would be solely on you uh, or whoever else that new shooter is. And if you ever wanted to, I think that's probably the best way to I go.
0: might have to take you up on that. Yeah, so t- for those of you who are butterfingers out there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like, I cannot, there might be hope for us. Yeah. So thank you so much for sitting thank with you, me. Liz. Is there anything else that you'd like to let um, everyone know about what's coming up, things that you got going on, things with the city?
1: Uh, With the budget coming up, I think one of the things the city should look at is um, possibly providing municipal broadband to the residents and businesses. Um, I'm an IT director for Motor Motorcars out of East Hartford, and managing our connections, our internet connections, what have you, is rather expensive. Uh, generally municipal provided broadband is a fraction of the cost of what say Comcast or Frontier is charging businesses and residents um, an example I pay uh, or Jengers pay $700 per month for 100 megs of fiber at one of the stores a generally municipal broadband for 1 gigabit which is over 10 times that speed is under $100 wow. uh, so that would be revenue for the city it would be uh, uh, a lower cost for businesses which we want to draw businesses absolutely. in and that's a huge draw in my opinion and for the residents as well and we're we talk about being all about capitalism that's a competition that we, we need that, that helps the consumer mm-hmm. us and users to mm-hmm. keep a few more bucks in our pockets
0: absolutely
1: so if we can't lower the mill rate every now now and then but we can maybe keep a few more bucks in your pocket absolutely. another way I think that's a great way to, uh, something to look at anyway.
0: So I'm very interested to see what's coming up. Um, Please definitely come back and tell us more about broadband and all this other stuff that's going on in the city.
1: Liz, thank you very much for taking the time today.
0: No problem.